Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly Podcast. If you're in the Orlando area, we hope you're able to join us for one of our services. Please check out faithassembly.org for more information or follow us on social media at faithORL. We hope this message will be an inspiration to help you find all that God has for your life. Enjoy the message. A few years ago, March 2018, I had the privilege of visiting Ecuador and taking a little vacation. And when you're on vacation, you have a time to rest, but you also have a time to seek the Lord when you're disengaged from all your responsibilities. And I was uh, in Ecuador walking about and the Holy Spirit dropped in my spirit an expression, sonic boom. And I said, hmm, I kind of know what that is, but I'm going to look that up. I'm going to research that. And I started to research that, and as I started to learn how it happens and learn more about it, God began to speak to me that I started to write these things down. So here's the story. You may, you may know this from many of your travels being in an airplane, what an airplane looks like, a commercial airliner. A typical commercial airliner has a rounded nose, it has rounded wings, it has a stationary wing in the back, and it has jet engines. Well, up until 1947, there were no jet engines. You think about those old planes from the World War II era, they all had propellers. And until the invention of the engine, they were not able to break the sound barrier. And the sound barrier, they didn't know what was on the other side. Whenever they would approach the speed of sound, the plane would begin to shake. And as they would try to press in closer, the plane would break up and sometimes would even break apart. And we had these kind of daredevil pilots that would try to do whatever they could possibly do to break through the barrier, that they would even cause their planes to do extreme nosedives just to get a little extra speed, hoping to find out what was on the other side of this barrier. And none of the planes were able to do it. None of the pilots were able to do it. But while this was happening, There wasn't a laboratory in Britain, people working on a new design, working on an engine that they hadn't seen before. And they could see that in the laboratory that the jet engine had the power to break the the supersonic limit or to exceed the speed of sound. And so when they put this on the first planes, many pilots signed up for this and they were successful. They broke the sound barrier and there were some things that happened. They learned that in the laboratory that they had to change some features of the plane. If you look at your supersonic airplanes, you'll notice that the three features that I mentioned are not there. The nose is not rounded, but it's a needle nose. You'll notice that the wings are not rounded, but they're sharp-edged. And you'll notice that the, the wing is not a stationary wing in the back, but it actually flutters, it moves. And the picture you see on the screen is actually a jet engine, a jet fighter that is actually passing through that sound barrier. At the moment that he is reaching the speed of sound, one side of his plane is over the speed limit, if you will, and the back side on the other side of the shield is just catching up. And when that moment happens, we hear a sonic boom. I don't know if you've heard that boom when a plane runs over your neighborhood, but it sounds like a huge thunderclap and everyone hears it. 
The thing that people don't know about a sonic boom is that people think that when the sonic boom hits, it happens at the moment that the sound barrier is broken. But it actually happens everywhere that the plane flies, that if you are on the backside of the plane and the plane passes over you, you hear it. Sometimes you'll see that on beaches, that as the plane flies along the horizon or along the shore, that there is a constant sound or booming that goes along uh, the, whole, the whole trajectory of the shoreline. What's amazing is the people on the ground hear it, but the people on the plane don't hear it. What's amazing is it's so loud that everyone underneath the plane hears it. Here's some of the spiritual truth that the Lord revealed to me. The plane is a symbol for the church. Our pilot is our senior pastor. What powers the church, my friend? The Holy Spirit. There are many churches that are flying high, jumbo jets, if you will, fighter pilots, some small, some large, some medium size. But it wasn't until the jet engine came along that planes were able to do things that they weren't able to do before. I tell you this, if you make room for the Holy Spirit in your life, you will break through barriers. You will be able to do things that you've not been able to do before. If we will give place for the Holy Spirit, God will accomplish things in faith assembly that have never been done before. Can I get an amen? Yes. I want to talk to you now about prophecy and the manifestation of prophecy. I'll be reading from first, I'm sorry, I'll be reading from, yes, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 8. It says this, for one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. These are referred to the gifts of the Holy Spirit or the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And there are nine that are enumerated by Paul in these three verses. But I want to focus on one of them, and that is prophecy. The manifestation of prophecy, it's also called the gift of prophecy. What is prophecy? It's rhema. It's not logos. It's the God-breathed, God-inspired word or nugget that God gives in a moment. It's a manifestation. It's God's word applied individually. As Pastor Charlie was exhorting us from the platform, he spoke some words over you and he challenged you to receive that word personally. For some of you, that was a personal word and you received that. And maybe for others, it was not. But I believe that for many of you, it was. And that was a rhema. That was a prophetic word. Prophecy is to hear from God and speak to men. You have the ability to do it because if you are a Christian, you hear the Lord's voice. And God is speaking into your life every day. The difference is when and would God ask you to speak into somebody else's life when he has revealed something to you. And that's the difference. That's the difference. We hear from God, we speak to other people. 
The manifestation of the Spirit is to speak under the unction of the Holy Spirit. It's a temporary manifestation. And if you read the rest of that passage there in chapter 12, it goes on to say that the Holy Spirit distributes these things or carries these things in the Spirit as he wills. Some things that the prophecy is not. Okay, this gift is different than the gift of prophet. Pastor Marcus mentioned a little bit about this last week. He covered all the three types of gifts, the gifts of the Father, the gifts of the Son, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We talked about the motivational gifts uh, for the last several weeks, the gifts of the Father. We talked last week about the ministry gifts, the fivefold ministry, the apostle, the prophet, the pastor, the teacher, and the evangelist. So this is, we're not talking about a prophet, okay? We're not talking about someone who's called to the office of a prophet, somebody that is stepping into a church role as a resident prophet. This is not a ministry calling. We're talking about the manifestation of the gift of prophecy, which is available to every believer. We're not talking about the motivational gift of prophecy, which has something to do more with the person's personality or personality type or the way that God shaped them, that, that they, uh, and pastors shared that on the first message, is how can you identify if you have a, a motivational gift to prophesy? And one of those is if you're quick to tell people what they need to do, then you may, you know, you may have this gift. And that thing sort of operates whether there's no unction or not. It's just part of who you are. What's amazing is that of all the gifts that are mentioned across the three gift lists, prophecy is the only one that appears in all three. Our book, our Bible, is a Bible or a book of prophecy. Can I get an amen? It's God speaking to mankind. The difference between the gift of prophecy and the manifestation of prophecy is that the word of God, the logos, is without error. We say inerrant. It's infallible. It doesn't fail. It's perfect. That revelation is perfect. It can't be changed. It can't be, uh, uh, it's eternal, the Bible says, right? And as we share a little bit tonight, we're going to find that there are some qualities about the manifestation of prophecy that we need to know. There are many other names that the gift of prophecy goes by. Uh, it can be called a word of prophecy or prophetic utterance or personal prophecy, spirit of prophecy, word of exhortation or word of encouragement. Now, each of those, uh, sometimes we use those words interchangeably in the church and there really are some nuances or differences between those. Um, but sometimes people will call a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom prophecy. And that's because some of these gifts are so closely related in the spirit, it's almost kind of hard to tell them because the Bible says it's the same spirit. It's one spirit and the spirit is flowing in and out. And unfortunately, Paul had to enumerate nine, but I, I, you know, I, I, I don't know if he struggled to come up with that list because the spirit is so dynamic. Yes? The heart of prophecy is love. 1 Corinthians 14.1 says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. In the 13th chapter, which is called the chapter of love, Paul tells us, if I prophesy all kinds of mysteries, if I speak in the tongues of angels, if I move mountains by faith, if I have not love, I am nothing. 
And what remains is faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And then in the very first chapter, as Paul segues into spiritual gifts, he says, pursue love, and then you could add a word, then desire spiritual gifts. You see that priority? He spent a whole chapter telling us what the greatest gift was, and that without love, the operation of spiritual gifts is dead. The foundation, the motivation, the means by which spiritual gifts exist and operate is through love. The reason why we would want to desire spiritual gifts is because we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. The reason why we would uh, then operate in those gifts is because we want what's in, in the best interest for them. We believe that God has a word for them to lead them to him, to lead them to Christ. We want to see them get saved. We want to see them get healed. We want to see their lives change. We want to see their marriages healed. That's good. Love is the governing principle for the exercise of spiritual gifts. Paul exhorts us in this verse and later on he says, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. And in both verses, especially that you would prophesy. You know, there's two words here that sometimes people mix up, prophecy and prophesy. Prophecy is the word with the C, and that's a noun. Prophesy is the verb with an S. We prophesy prophecy. Can I get an amen? amen. Believers should not wait patiently for God to give the gifts of the Spirit. Paul is saying instead we earnestly desire to seek and pray for those gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. I remember before I began to move prophetically that I would spend much time on my knees and pray and seek the Lord and, and ask him, I want this gift, I want this gift, I want this gift. And I showed some earnestness, but I felt like the Holy Spirit saying, step out in faith. When you feel me leading you to talk to somebody, I want you to go talk to them and I will give you the words. You see, it operates similar to speaking in tongues. God doesn't shout down lightning from heaven and fill you with the Holy Spirit and then all of a sudden you just start speaking in tongues like uncontrollably. You have control over it. At some point, you have to act out in faith and believe that utterance is going to come out of your mouth. Even now, while I'm sharing with you, speaking in a natural language requires faith because I don't know what I'm gonna say before I say it. And prophetic utterances are very similar. Paul says especially that you would prophesy why? Why does he single this one out among the nine? Paul explains later in this chapter of 14 that prophecy is better than tongues. He's very explicit about that. But he goes on to elevate or seems to elevate this gift above the others that are listed there. He says it's more desirable in verse 39 because it has the potential to edify more people. It has the potential to bring conviction to the church, revealing the secrets of people's hearts and causing them to report that God is among us. The purpose of prophecy. Edification is the purpose of prophecy. Let's read 14 verses 2, 3, 4, and 5. 
For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Paul says, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks in tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. Here are three things I want you to get. Tongues, praying in tongues, the private devotional type prayers where we pray to God directly and commune with God and communicate directly with God, that edifies us. Tongues is for personal edification. It's intended to be part of our personal uh, prayer life. Prophecy, on the other hand, edifies the public. It edifies those that are in the room. It edifies the church because other people hear it and because it's in a language they understand. Paul says that interpretation of tongues is equivalent to prophecy. That if someone were to speak up in a, in a, in a class or a group or in a meeting and a public tongue was given, there must be an interpretation. And when that interpretation is given, when the mind of God is revealed in that moment from that dynamic of tongue and interpretation, it's as if somebody had given a word of prophecy. And the only reason that one is better than the other is that tongues requires an interpretation. So it requires two people or it requires two acts of faith. And Paul goes on to say that the person who actually gives the public tongue seems to bear the responsibility of bringing the interpretation. He says that the one that brings the, the tongue must ask and pray for the interpretation. And if there is no interpreter, he ought to sit down and pray to himself. That is to pray to God privately. Prophecy and tongues with interpretation minister to the entire congregation, being understood by all. Therefore, Paul makes a distinction between private tongues and public tongues. Let's talk about the nature of prophecy. There are six things we can say about the nature of prophecy. It's powerful, it's partial, it's progressive, it's inspired, it's imperfect, and it's conditional. Let me review these with you. Hopefully we have that on the screen. Perfect. Well, we know that it's powerful. I mean, when God speaks, it's powerful. When the word of God is spoken, it separates the soul from the spirit. It can change our lives. It can change circumstances. It can bring people from death to life. It can carry such tremendous weight that when we hear it, we never forget it. It's partial. In chapter 13, Paul says, we know in part and we prophesy in part. It's like a snapshot. As the manifestation comes, a word of exhortation comes or a word of encouragement comes and it's a nugget, it's a snapshot. There's a little bit of something that comes in part of a bigger picture of what God is doing in your life. When somebody brings that word to you, they don't know what's going on in your life per se, or maybe they do, but still there is a word there and that word is direct, it's poignant. It speaks directly to something in your life, but there's also other things going on in your life. Yes, it's partial. 
It's progressive. Many times when we do receive a word, God's already been talking to us about that subject. Or we get the same kind of revelation in our prayer life, or we get it in a sermon, or we get it somewhere else, and there's multiple inputs coming from what people are saying in our life, giving us natural wisdom, to what the word of God is saying to us in our private times of devotion, to what we're hearing in a sermon. And then here comes another word, what we would call a manifestation of prophecy. And it's progressive. It's like we're getting multiple words over a period of time. For instance, Abraham, it's recorded that he received 10 words from God over a period of many years. And each time he got a word, it affirmed what had been previously said, and at most times, there was a little bit something else extra. I don't know if you've had dreams from God, but I find that dreams that come from God usually have two or three scenes in them, and that the first scene describes the theme, and the second scene and the third scene develop on that theme. It's progressive. Another thing that the prophetic manifestation is, is that it's inspired. It's not inspired perfectly like the written word of God, but it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Just as the word of God, the Bible has been inspired or God breathed, so is prophecy. But the word of God is settled and perfect. Peter goes on to say that prophecy is of no private interpretation. In other words, if you were to receive a prophetic word, you shouldn't be the only one to believe what you believe, that it should be interpreted openly, that you can share that with somebody else and it makes some sense with somebody else. We're gonna talk about how to judge prophecy here in a minute. The thing you also need to know is that it's imperfect, it's error prone, it's fallible, it can come with errors. If you think about a patio screen, uh, if you've been around a pool and there are screens there and you, it has a bunch of little squares on it, okay? When we receive the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is, is pouring out on us and God is leading us, we have pure water from heaven. There are no pollutants, right? And it passes through a person or a vessel or a screen. And depending on the quality of that screen, depending on the cleanliness of that screen, what we get on the other side may remain pure or it may be mixed and mingled with a little flesh, with a little dirt. You see that? And that's why it's necessary for us to test and judge prophecy to receive that which is good and to borrow an expression to spit out what is bad. Also, you need to know that personal prophecy is conditional. Whether it's explicitly spoken in the word that was given, it's implied. Faith and obedience is implied. If there's something that you need to do in order to respond to that, God requires that of you. And you will know that. And if you don't know that, he will reveal it to you. Either it will come to you in the moment or it will come to you in your devotion. God cannot bless doubt. God cannot bless disobedience. So there are many failed prophecies because people fail to recognize that there's a responsibility in our part. Words of prophecy can be canceled, altered, reversed, diminished. Again, whether it's explicit or not, it's understood that faith and responsibility or faith and obedience are required. 
Let's talk about what the Word of God says about church meetings. All of what I'm about to share with you for the sake of time and to keep this teaching uh, easy to understand, all of what I'm about to share with you on this slide can be supported by chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. Number one, prophecy must be judged. It must be judged. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word of God is established. There ought to be mature believers in your life who agree with the prophetic utterance and its interpretation. Again, there is no private interpretation. We'll talk a little bit more in a minute about how to judge. Number two, prophecy must be regulated. This word regulated also means governed, controlled, or limited. We can't have people running around just giving words whenever they feel like it and not be accountable for them. Hello, we've seen that. We don't want that. We've seen that in other churches. It's still happening in some other churches, but God calls us as leaders to regulate the spirits, to govern the spirits, that the spirit of prophecy is subject to the prophets, subject to spiritual leaders, subject to leaders who move in the prophetic. As beneficial as prophesying is, Paul sought to limit the activity that no one, not even a leader, exercising a spiritual gift is exempt from accountability to the church and its leadership. Paul pleads with us to use prophecy properly. Properly. He pleads with us. The P stands for peace. The L stands for love. E for edification, A for authority, D for decently and in order, and S, simple and easy to understand. Whatever it is that we may be doing in the church, whether we're operating in spiritual gifts or attending classes or whatever we might be doing, it must breed peace. Let all things be done for peace. There ought to be peace in the congregation, in meetings, If there are uh, people acting up, if there are manifestations, if there are people causing disorder or disrupting the service, we need to deal with that as quickly as possible to restore peace. That's why we, we have ushers. That's why we have security guards because in the natural of things happen, we need to deal with those things to restore peace because peace is required to bring edification to the church. The word of God needs to be spoken. The worship needs to happen. We can't have anything disruptive to mess with that. And love, we already talked about that. We talked about edification. If it doesn't edify, if it doesn't strengthen, if it doesn't encourage, if it doesn't comfort, it's not prophecy. Authority, we need to be under the authority of God's scripture and the authority of the local church. Decently in an order, decently speaks of excellence. Order speaks of organization. It must be done well. God loves excellence. It must be done well. And it must be done in order. Now, I don't have time to go through all of the specific things that this chapter speaks about how tongues ought to be in order and how tongues ought to be in order, but there are some very specific instructions for those two gifts, and let me give you a few as an example. There ought not to be more than three speakers. Two or three prophets, two or three different speakers giving a word. Two or three public tongue speakers. 
Why would, why would Paul say that? Because the more people speak, the more it cheapens and weakens the message. It begins to diminish the value of the gift and it can cause chaos. If you have too many speakers, then it, it, it's like, which one do I listen to? Which one is God? And I have too many things to consider. There needs to be order. There needs to be uh, uh, an order to the message. Speakers must not compete with one another. If one is speaking and another reveals, is, is revealed to him or her something, they must be willing to defer one another and sit down and let the other speak. Another one is that prophetic persons can control themselves. Sometimes people think they have a gift and they can just fly off the handle and say whatever they want to say whenever they want to say it. But just like now, as God is speaking to you, you can wait until later to speak when it's appropriate. You and I have control over that. Another interpretation of the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, that the spirit of a person, he has control over it. If he really is a prophetic person, he has control over himself and the word that he receives or she receives from God. Let's talk about how to judge prophecy. God's word must always stand in a judgment over all experiences and utterances. We've established that. But also we're exhorted from 1 Thessalonians verse 5, I'm sorry, chapter 5, verse 19 to 21. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things and hold fast what is good. Let me park there just for a minute. You know that we can quench the spirit? One way that we can quench the spirit is we despise prophecies. Another way that we can quench the spirit is if we don't test all things. We need to test those prophecies. We need to test the spirits. We need to have spiritual discernment. We need to be able to discern whether that is a word from God or a word from somebody's flesh and good thinking. And we need to hold fast to what is good. If it's of God, hold on to it. If, if it's not, we throw it away. Let's review five criteria that are both practical and scriptural. I also use an acrostic or an acronym for this, and it is swear. If it's a word from God, we can swear by it. I'm not talking about swearing. I'm just saying that we can make a solemn statement that this is authentic. There's five criteria, scripture, the witness of the Holy Spirit, edification, attitude, and relevant. Scripture is our plumb line. Does that word align with God's word? Does it align with God's character? Does it align with God's plans and purpose? Does it bear witness? The Holy Spirit that lives inside of me, does it bear witness? Do I, does, do I get agreement inside? I'm not talking about here, but I'm talking here. You have the witness of the Holy Spirit operating in your life that when you hear a good sermon, when you hear a good message, people often respond yes or amen or hallelujah because the Spirit of God inside of them is coming in agreement with the truth that is spoken. And that word will bear witness with you or it won't. If there's a check in your spirit or a grieving of the Holy Spirit, you know that that is not of the Lord. We've already established that it must edify it must comfort, it must strengthen, it must encourage. 
And the attitude and the character of the person bringing the word really matters. Are they coming with humility? Are they following instructions? Do they understand how this particular meeting operates? Do they understand the vision of this church? Do they understand the culture of this church? Do they understand that this meeting has more freedom and this meeting doesn't have as much freedom? Do they understand these things and are they coming with a submissive, gentle spirit? And also relevant. Is it relevant to the person? Is it relevant to the audience? Is it relevant to the topic? Is it relevant to the meeting? Sometimes people hear from God, but that word was not intended for other people in the room. Sometimes people hear from God, but it's not intended for other people. It's really intended for them. You ever been reading God's word and you're like, hmm, that's a good word for my sister. Hmm, that's a good word for my husband. Now, if you wait on it, the Holy Spirit says, "Mm mm-mm, that was for you. (laughs) And sometimes we get into these meetings where there's a spiritual emphasis and a freedom to hear from God and we begin hearing from God. We need to make sure that what we're hearing, we need to pass it through our own life first before we're willing to step forward and say, I believe this is for the church. Yes? Yes. Let's talk about the practice of prophecy. In particular, how do I, Pastor Kevin, see prophecy operating in our church? As I share these things with you, you're gonna see them too. Let me give you a few examples. Let's talk about our main services, our Sunday morning services and our Wednesday night. And worship. It is common for Pastor John to give words of affirmation and declare blessings over the congregation and begin to, to speak what I would call prophetic words, but because it's so fluid and we don't make a big deal of it and because we don't label it as prophetic, then people don't think that it's happening. But when he steps away from the lyrics that they had planned to sing and he begins to sing a new song like Pastor Charlie did tonight, or he begins to to speak some words into the congregation's life like Pastor Charlie did tonight, Pastor John does this nearly every service. How about in preaching? Let's make a distinction between preaching and prophecy a little bit. Because when a man of God brings a message like this, it's prophetic in the sense that he has sought the Lord or she has sought the Lord for the will of God and to deliver to a particular audience and to bring a particular message and then he or she will spend time preparing it and then delivering it. But what we're talking about more is the momentary impulse of the Holy Spirit bringing a word. A couple of weeks ago when Pastor Johnny was speaking and he was uh, giving a word and one of his main points was this. He said, your potential is more important than your past. At the moment he shared that, he stepped away from the pulpit And he said, I just, I really feel like that's a word for someone in here this morning or someone in here tonight because he he spoke on Saturday night as well. And there was a change in the room. There was agreement with a lot of people in the room for that. Like they received that personally. It wasn't just a good word. It wasn't just a bullet point on the sermon, but it became personal at that moment where he stepped out in faith and said it that way. And that was a prophetic utterance. At the altar, the men and women up here, as they pray for people, there are some things that come out of their mouth they weren't planning to say, 
and they are many times scriptural content and verses of the Bible that are spoken over people's lives that speak directly into their situation. We need to understand that we should be sensitive to the culture and the language. Every church has its own culture and style. Every church has its own verbiage or accepted vocabulary. Some meetings require more excellence and order, and some meetings can offer more freedom. It's important to understand the vision and culture of the local assembly as well as the purpose and liberty of various group meetings. Individuals must be willing to surrender individual liberty, the expression of their giftedness and preferences in order to maintain unity. We see more freedom in our small groups, in our connect groups. We don't have all of this equipment. We're not recording. It isn't timed. It isn't being uh, televised. Um, it isn't, we don't have all of this equipment where, where the worship leader has a, a trick, uh, I'm sorry, a click track in their ear and they, they can't hear what somebody might be saying. It gets more difficult when there are more people in the room, when it's a larger venue. If you don't have a microphone and he or she gives a word from over there, how is this person over here gonna hear it? And if they don't hear it, they're not being edified. It's bringing confusion into the room and then it's out of order. And so there are reasons why you don't see some of the things that maybe you have seen in other churches because the larger things become, it requires more organization because there's more responsibility because the governing principle is edification. We need to make sure that everybody that's hearing, even the people who are online, are being edified. And if there are things happening in the room that are not being caught on camera, there will be confusion for people who are listening and watching online. Do you understand? You understand a little bit why we do things the way that we do them. Can I get an amen? amen. We do have some meetings where there is a spiritual emphasis. We have God encounters. Those come along uh, for the ladies two or three times a year, for the men two or three times a year. We have uh, fire night prayer meetings once a month, the second Friday of each month. And in our small groups, we see gifts of the Spirit operating there as well. Unity must be maintained. While the various parts of the body are useful, okay, the body is more important than the individual parts. Where there is confusion or disorder, there's a lack of unity. Believers should strive for peace in all situations. Prophecy and spiritual gifts, they do cooperate with one another. It's often to see uh, prophecy move into tongues or tongues first and then prophecy or uh, tongues and word of uh, knowledge or prophecy and words of knowledge or word of wisdom. For instance, at the day of Pentecost, they spoke in tongues. Then Peter stood up and preached. That wasn't a sermon he was speaking under the unction. He had the word of God in his heart and God pulled it out of him for that audience. He didn't come prepared for that message. He spoke what the spirit gave him. Amen? Amen. Word of knowledge. You think about the woman of the well. Jesus said, hey, you, you, you have five husbands and the one that you're with is not your husband. And she's like, oh, I perceive that you're a prophet. 
He goes on to reveal or prophesy truth. He begins to speak some truth into her life and says, the water you thirst for in this well doesn't satisfy, but the water I have does. And she says, give me this water. She says, I heard that when Messiah comes, he will reveal all things to us. And he says, I am he who speaks. The greatest revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. All true prophecy leads to Christ. Yes. We want to encourage you to give words of encouragement. I don't have time right now, but we leave words of correction and prediction for those that are in authority. But you are on good, safe, solid ground to encourage one another. The Bible exhorts us, instructs us to encourage one another. So go and do it. Give encouraging words. Give words of affirmation. Speak life into people. Pray over them and speak life. Speak God's blessings. Give them affirmations. Love on them. Draw them closer to God. Exhort them in the will of God. Speak into their life. Speak scripture into their life. Pray over them. Speak into them. Give them words of encouragement. And you'll find that when you do that, some of those will just feel like encouraging words. And other times as you're speaking, you'll feel the leading and the breath and the wind of the Holy Spirit and you'll say, that one was a word of encouragement. That one had prophetic something, something. It had a little fire, a little zing on it. You do well when you do both. But if you would just step out in faith and start encouraging people, watch out. God will start working with you and leading you and giving you the right utterances. But let's leave the other types of words to mature leaders, what we would call prophets. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. Thank you for joining us in pursuit of growing closer to Christ. Stay tuned for more messages released every week. God bless.